Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word? Let's open up our Bibles tonight. We're going to continue in our COTR Family Bible Study Series. And tonight, we're talking about demon leaders. My goodness, where in the world would you come up with a title like that? It's a part of my leftover from last week. If you remember last week as we were in our COTR Family Bible Study Series, we were talking about Levi and demon leaders. Uh, and so uh, we didn't get to this part. So uh, today... Uh, let's open up our hearts and see what God wants to say to us because God might be speaking to you something uh, that uh, may, maybe it's you know from the words that I'm saying and maybe it's from something that he's just speaking to you about your moment. But uh, we're going to be looking and launching from Exodus chapter 1 and uh, we, we went through verses 1 through 15 last week. But uh, And uh, we also were in Exodus 6 last week. But uh, we're going to launch from verse 9 before we pick up with some other verses later on in Exodus chapter 1. In verse 9, the Bible tells us, And the king said to his people, Now this is Pharaoh, he's king of Egypt, Pharaoh of Egypt. He said to his Egyptian leaders, he said to them, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. You know, this has always been a concern of leaders, is that the opposition would become more and mightier. We have to be very careful whenever we look at people through the eye of competition, through the eye of fear, through the eye of concern that they might become more and mightier than we are. And somehow when we see them with potential, we become afraid of them. We become afraid that if they get something we want, uh, you know, uh, that, that it might cost us. And that's what Pharaoh was concerned about. And that's what he concerned all of his other leaders with, is that the children of Israel were becoming more and mightier. You know, this was not the first time in history, nor the last time that we have seen leaders of a nation moved and motivated by fear. Fear of one thing or fear of another. You know, uh, leaders come in a lot of uh, forms, not just leaders of nations, but leaders of families, leaders of ball teams, leaders of military, leaders of, of, of you know, of, of churches, you know, uh, leaders in, in any area, in any aspect of men's or women's Bible studies, leaders, if they're not watchful, but even political leaders of nations can become insecure and can become afraid, especially whenever they are motivated by fear. And uh, it, it happened in communist China with communist China's one child policy. You guys may remember, you may not, but the one term, uh, excuse me, the term one child policy refers to a population initiative in China. It was initiated, uh, you know, in, in, in the 70s and through, through, uh, through the 2000s. But the initiative was part of a much broader effort. I'm reading here from Wikipedia. 
The initiative, that initiative was part of a much broader effort to control population growth that began in 1970 and ended in 2021, a half-century program that included minimum ages at marriage and childbearing, two child limits for many couples, minimum time intervals between births, heavy surveillance, stiff fines for non-compliance. Uh, listen, this, this affected social and cultural. It affected all of China. Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not have been in tune with what was going on. But China's family planning policies, they were shaped by fear. That's what uh, you know, Wikipedia says here. And uh, they were concerned of overpopulation and uh, a population that would get out of control and a population that would eat up resources, government resources, if not watchful. And so overpopulation in the eyes of the state officials, this article says, um, would hinder their agenda. What was their agenda? <laughs> to stay in control, okay? I mean, that's pretty much the agenda that we see in Exodus and that we've seen throughout history in one way or another. Well, um, a a after a full decade of concerted efforts... A near-universal one-child limit was imposed in 1980. It was then officially written into the Constitution of the People's Republic of China in 1982 that you could only have one child. Can you imagine that? Uh, all families were restricted by the Constitution of the nation that they could only have one child. Implementation of the policy was handled at a national level. Very important to realize that the people in China were people just like me and you. They're men and women. You know, uh, they, they had dreams. They had hopes. You know, they, they, they had opportunity. But yet they find that a government is imposing upon them such a restriction that they cannot do what they want to do. In fact, uh, uh, women were forced to use contraception, receive abortions, forced to receive abortions. They were forced to undergo sterilization. Can you imagine being forced to undergo sterilization? That if you have a child, you are forced at that moment to be sterilized so you cannot have another. Families who violated the policy faced large fines and other penalties such as being fired from their job and restrictions for future career. Let me, let me continue. Patriarchal attitudes and a cultural preference for sons in China led to the abandonment of unwanted infant girls. Do you all remember this? Fifty years of this in China. Some of whom died and others of whom were adopted abroad. They were just abandoned. Over time, this skewed the country's sex ratio toward men and created a generation that we have today in China of missing women. There is no hope in China for many men to ever be married. There are no women. And what they're finding in the backlash of that is that the man who has no hope of, 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 of gaining something and saving something, building something so he can leave it to his family, has no reason to even go to work or do anything else. Why in the world? There's nothing. I, I mean, why should I even, uh, you know, do better? Because there's no one. They're finding such depression and such suicide rates over this very issue that there aren't any women. And this is 
one of the things that some biblical scholars believe is going to motivate China uh, to, to march on another country at some point just in efforts to find wives, promise of wives for those who will fight in war. The Chinese Communist Party credits the program with contributing to the country's economic ascendancy and says that it prevented 400 million births. They're very excited about that. You know, they want to give one another medals because they achieved preventing 400 million births. There's something to be proud of, you know. It's not just that. That's not the only time, the last time. Have you ever heard the word eugenics? You know uh, what eugenics means probably, the selection of desired, you know, um, heritable characteristic to improve uh, future generations. This comes from the Encyclopedia Britannica. The term eugenics was coined in 1883 by British explorer and natural scientist Francis Galton, who Influenced by Charles Darwin, by the way, Charles Darwin was a cousin of Francis Galton. Influenced by Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection, advocated a system that would allow the more suitable races or strains of blood a better chance of prevailing speedily over the less suitable. Who decides who the more suitable races are over the less suitable Eugenics. It ultimately failed as a science because Hitler used it and it became in disrepute. The Nazis used eugenics to support the extermination of entire races because they felt the Jews were undesirable, they were less desirable, they were unsuitable, and uh, therefore we must get rid of them. You may or may not be familiar with, in 1927, with, uh, with a court case that went before the Supreme Court. It originated in Virginia, was argued in Virginia. Uh, it, it, it was originated trying to strike down a law in Virginia. It made it all the way to the Supreme Court because it did not succeed in striking down the Virginia law. And when it got to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court held with the state of Virginia to support the law that Virginia had on its books. The court case, it's a very famous court case, Buck v. Bell, 1927. There was an eight to one decision of the Supreme Court justices. Uh, and the court accepted that Buck her mother and her daughter were feeble-minded and promiscuous women. And uh, that it was in the state's best interest to go ahead and sterilize people like this. Interesting, huh? And the ruling with the 8-to-1 decision in the U.S. Supreme Court um, legitimized Virginia's sterilization procedures. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. wrote the majority opinion. This is what he said. A part of what he said. It is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind from reproducing. The principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. 
It's no different than being vaccinated. Let's look around at the people who are unsuitable for whatever reason, and let's sterilize them. The Supreme Court of the United States said, yes, good idea, good law, Virginia. Listen to what Holmes uh, concluded his argument by citing something from Jacobson v. Massachusetts as a precedent for his decision. Three generations of imbeciles are, Im Im imbeciles are enough. Do you know that I qualify? <laughs> Behind me, I, there's, there's, I've got more than three generations of crazy, stupid people in my, in my heritage. Some of you, you better watch out. You look like strike two. Do you know that this ruling made forced sterilization for the good of the state, for the good of the state, so the state later does not have to take care of them, so the state later does not have to arrest them because they're too stupid to keep, you know, to, to, to not uh, uh, participate in crime? It made it legal on a federal level. And by the way, it has never been overturned, it's still on the books today. It's still on the books today. How interesting is that? The original Virginia statue, it was drafted by a man named Harry Laughlin. Laughlin was the superintendent, superintendent of eugenics record office in uh, the state of New York. He was also an unabashed Nazi sympathizer, and he was even awarded a degree from the University of Heidelberg in 1936. A very familiar uh, European date. He was awarded a degree on behalf of the science of the racial cleansing. How, to, how we as a, a world should walk through our world cleansing our world of the undesirable races. He was awarded an honorary degree for the work done in that field by the University of Heidelberg, this is the guy that Virginia allowed to craft the law of forced sterilization that made it to the Supreme Court and was upheld. You know, one of the outspoken supporters of Buck v. Bell was Margaret Sanger Harris, who has been in, in, uh, in our uh, much controversy of late over what she actually stood for or what she advocated. But, uh, but in reaching her goals, she was a proponent of eugenics, and she is the founder of the organization that is now Planned Parenthood. A New York Post article from July 2020 reads, Planned Parenthood is finally removing the name of Margaret Sanger, its founder, from its Manhattan clinic, ending decades of denial about her horrid racist views. Now, perhaps they removed her name, but her goals remain the same. There is a reason why. The abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood uh, clinics are put in pr primarily low-income areas of inner cities. Why? To achieve the same results Hitler tried to achieve. Let's make sure that we do not allow unsuitable, undesirable races or, or categories or people groups to ever reproduce in such numbers that we have to be afraid of them.
you know, papers have been written, not just, I mean, 1800s, 1600s. You can go back, you know, uh, all the way back to 3,500 years ago as we read from Exodus 1. Let's go back to Exodus 1 now. Because this is the very thing that the devil used through a demonically inspired leader of the nation of Egypt, of the empire of Egypt. The demons of hell, the devil, Satan and his desire to destroy families and to stop people from fulfilling dreams, to keep them under the thumb of demon leaders who he can inspire, he can motivate. What he did was the same thing that we have seen in these other papers. How can a person be so deceived? It's the devil manipulating generation after generation, trying to destroy the family and trying to defeat God. In Exodus chapter 1, you know, here we have a leader that feels that it's the best way to stay on top is to get rid of anything that weighs you down. The best way for me to make it is to get rid of anything that is not pushing me up. Exodus 1 verse 15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Why? Because the children of Israel were multiplying and growing stronger. This is a clear picture of the fear of a leader. He spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the names of one was Shiprah and the other one was Puah. Both of those mean bright and glittering and both those names. They were a bright spot in an otherwise horrible moment. Verse 16, And the king of Egypt said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on birth stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. We saw this in reverse in China, didn't we? But the midwives feared God, thankfully, praise God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives can come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, verse 20 says, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. See, God's going to continue to have his will and his way. Hardships come, difficulties come, dangers come. Not everyone, by the way, you know, survived these moments. But God is telling us a story of the broader picture of what was going on there in Egypt at that time. And so uh, uh, Pharaoh, in verse 22, well, verse 21, and so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. He gave them safety. He took them and gave them shelter. In verse 22, so Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So here, Pharaoh is putting the weight on every individual that they now will be going against the laws of the state if they do not submit to this um, killing 
of everyone who had a potential to not support Pharaoh. You see, everything that is done by a demon leader is motivated by fear. Everything that is done by someone who is inspired by the devil is motivated by fear. And that's what we see in the book of Exodus. That the motivation of Pharaoh in the killing of these children, just like the motivation of King Herod when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, his motivation was fear. He was so afraid, he went to Bethlehem and killed every male child under the age of two. When you go with me to Bethlehem, I'll show you those little graves. All of these little children killed all at one time. Why? Because Herod was afraid. He was afraid he was going to be replaced as king. He was afraid he was going to lose his throne. He'd lose his control. He was angry that he was not obeyed. It's happened constantly. It's... it's and it's something that we have to watch out for even in our own lives. That we do not become so afraid, motivated by fear of loss. Or, 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 you know, that, that we end up allowing fear to make our decisions for us. When I'm talking about leaders here, I'm, 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 I'm talking about not just leaders of nations, but I'm talking about leaders of families and, as I said, leaders of ball teams and corporations, leaders of Bible studies, leaders of military, leaders of nations. Everything done by a demon-inspired, devil-controlled leader is motivated by fear. Fear that I'm not going to be okay. Fear that, that I'm not going to have enough. When you begin to make decisions based upon a fear that I'm not going to have enough. If I do this, then, then, then it's not going to be good for me. Fear that someone else might get more than I have. Fear that, that I won't be reelected. Fear that I won't be supported. Fear that I won't uh, you know, uh, be, be liked. Fear that I might lose. Fear that others aren't going to let me be a part of what they're doing. FOMO. Fear of being left out or missing out. Fear of missing out. That's what it is. It'd be FOLO, wouldn't it? Fear of being left out. FOLO and FOMO. Why are they so afraid? It's because they're listening to the devil. And they're believing what the devil has to say. When something comes to make you afraid... It's not God. God does not try to motivate you by fear. He doesn't motivate you by condemnation. He does not motivate you by rejection. He's not going to motivate you by criticism. He's not going to come and try to motivate you by dangling you over the fires of hell. God is a God of love. God's not going to motivate you by hatred. He's not going to motivate you by jealousy. He's not going to, if, if jealousy and insecurity are your motivations, it's not God. It's not going to turn out good. It's not going to be okay. He doesn't motivate you by worry. You might be worried, but worry is not the thing that God is trying to make you do so he can get you to do something else. That's the devil. 
Fear is what motivates the devil and his minions. And if the devil can make you afraid, he can get you to act. While on the other side of that, everything that is done by a Holy Spirit-filled leader, whether it's the leader, as I said, of a family, of a corporation, the leader of a church, the leader of a nation, a community, uh, the leader of a friend group, a Bible study. Everything done by a Holy Spirit-filled leader is motivated by faith. Different than fear. Fear says, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. Faith says, it will be okay. I will have enough. God will never leave me and never forsake me. You know, if God be for me, who can be against me? Faith that I can help others because God will help me to help others. He blesses me to make me a blessing. And if I help others, it's not going to take away and rob from me. If I give to the poor, the Lord will bless me. He counts it as a loan, the Bible says. For he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, Proverbs says, and the Lord will repay. Only the devil's fear could take that promise of God away from a person. Only fear of not having enough. Only fear of loss. Only fear of, 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 of somebody else is going to get something that I should have got could make you not help another person. Fear is different. Somebody that's Holy Spirit led, this is what they say. They say, I have faith that I will be elected if God wants me to be elected. If it's the will of God, I will do my due diligence, I will campaign, I will stand upon the, what, what the truth is, and I will stand upon what, the, what, what God's Word says, and if God wants me elected, He will get me elected. Instead of, oh, I've got to lie, cheat, and steal, because I'm afraid if I don't, if I don't talk bad about my opponent, if I don't run him down and tear him down, then people might like him better than me. Faith says that I can never lose because when I do God's will, then I am successful. Faith says God will measure my success. You won't. It's not connected to my bank account. It's not connected to how many people are sitting in my church. Noah preached 120 years. Not one convert. I believe he was successful. Why? Because he accomplished the will of God. He did what God told him to. And God's responsible for the results in your business. He's responsible for the results in your family. Don't let fear motivate you that if I correct my children, they'll hate me. I'm sorry, but that's just not the reality. They will love you if you rightly correct them. Okay? And believe you me, one day you will correct them. <laughs> and you it might be in anger if you don't do it in love when you can. If you don't do it little by little all along the line, one day you might blow up and you might tear something up. Don't be motivated by fear. Be motivated by faith. Uh, Holy Spirit-led leaders are listening to the Holy Spirit. They're parsing out what, what does God want? What is His goal? What, what does the devil want? What is his goal? Where, 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 where is God speaking to me? What does God want from me? What do I need to do at this moment? It's me and God right here. Without respect to what anyone else does, this is me and God. How can I please him right now? 
listening to the Holy Spirit and believing God. So tonight I have two simple takeaways. Number one, stop listening to and stop believing what the devil says. You ready? Stop it! I was doing some counseling this week and I asked somebody, I said, well, how's it going? And they told me, I said, well, whose fault is that? They said, mine. I said, stop it! Okay, counseling session over. Let's go get a Coke. There's nothing, there's nothing else to say beyond that. If you're letting fear motivate you and control you, stop it. Number two, start listening to the Holy Spirit and start believing what God has to say. Amen? That's all. God loves you and has a plan for your life. And when you wake up in the morning, He's going to have something for you to do that day that will please Him. Just please Him. Why not? Start there. It won't be tough. You can do it. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.